As stated earlier, welcome to the National Capital Bible Church. I would be remiss if I would not say happy birthday to Laura. It is, it is her birthday today, so kindly greet her. I, I know we did that last week for David. Um, you're older than him. That's okay. You know, Psalm 66, 18 says, If we regard iniquity in our hearts, he does not hear us. That's the Old Testament version of 1 John 1, 9, commonly known in the Bible teaching churches as rebound. So if we regard iniquity in our hearts, he does not hear us. So let's take a moment of silence and confess any known sins. And we're assured that he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us pray. Father, thank you, as always, for giving us this opportunity to examine your word. Pray that if there's anything vying for our attention, that you would help us to lay those aside so that we can focus on thee and focus on thy word. We ask all of these things through Christ's matchless name. Amen. Now, the call to worship is taken from two verses. The first one is taken from Psalms. 19 verse 7 Psalms 19 verse 7 The second one which I'll repeat later is Isaiah 26:3 Psalms 19:7 says the following The law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul and the testimony of the Lord is sure Making wise the simple. And I especially in, enjoy Isaiah 26.3. I think we could all use this this morning. How many of you need peace? Maybe you've had a rough week. I was talking to someone this morning. And he was admitting to me that there was some things that he was going through. And I said, well... I was going to read a verse that I think will help us reorient to God and the reality of who is in charge of our peace. Notice in Isaiah 26.3, for those of us who need it this morning, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Another word for stayed is focused. So if our mind is focused on Him, the consequence to that, the byproduct, is perfect peace. That mirrors Philippians 4, 6 and 7. So if our eyes are focused on Him, if our mind is stayed on Him, because we trust Him, we will experience perfect peace. That's the inner stability that is needed to make it. After a grueling week. Okay. How would you lead us in songs? The Bible says, For God so beloved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
For God did not send a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he does not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But as many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. As you know, we're moving through a series entitled Basics, which is going to be focused primarily on phase two, because that is where we derive our power, the spiritual power that is. What is phase two referring to? Hmm? Sanctification and, and Scott? Time that we have here, saved from what? Discipleship, right? That's right. Saved from the power of sin. Anybody struggling with sin here, aside from me? No one, right? Just me. Okay, so I'm going to be preaching to myself. Well, I want us to move through this, and we're going to see that I think there is a connection here that we have been missing that warrants our attention. So I'm going to hopefully establish this as we move through the study. First of all, what's going on in verse 18 of John chapter 3? Help me out here. What did we see last time? This is one of the verses that we left off last week. You recall that we had 223, but what are the two things here that stand out? How many groups of people are here? Believer and unbeliever. What else do we see here in John 318? Comparison, good. What else? Very good so far. Subject and object, very good. So, who's Jesus talking to here? Okay, he's talking to everyone. And notice what it says in verse 18. He who believes in him is not what? Condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned, what? Already. They don't have to do anything at all. And they stand condemned. That's the problem. They are already condemned. Why? Why is it that they're condemned? Unbelief. What's that, How? They're unbelievers, they're sinners. Look at what it says in 3.18. Because... He has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So if we're going to draw from the text and not do eisegesis, which is pouring into the text, we always use the words from the verse itself. 
That's why I'm, I'm color coding and I'm repeating the question because it's a knee-jerk reaction. It's, oh, I'm saved. But saved from what? Depends on the context, right? So, the reason why the person stands condemned is not just because they're sinners. Because we're all sinners. Are we not? The reason why certain people are condemned is not because they're sinners. It's because they have not believed in the only name of the only name of the begotten Son of God. Verse 18. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So that is the verse there. That is the reason why they stand condemned. Not because they're sinners. Were their sins paid for? So sin is not an issue anymore. Right? If they die, where will they go? Hmm? Unbeliever. Torment. Yeah, they go to hell, torments. But the reason why is because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, right? According to 3.18. It's not because they're sinners. How many times have you heard people say, well, you know, you turn or burn. If you don't repent of your sins, you're going to hell. Right? If you don't ask Jesus into your heart, you're going to hell. That's the, that, that's the mentality of the evangelical system today, which is flawed in my opinion, unfortunately. You know, you have all these crusades. Now you have this Asbury revival. What's the problem with that revival? Do you know that there was someone who was uh, possessed in there? You hear about that? They were performing exorcism there? They were performing exorcism. Apparently someone was possessed. So there's already some red flags there. Okay? And uh, without going into the de- all, the inform- all the details there, I, I'm not, I don't intend to go on a rabbit trail here, but I don't think it's of God. I do wish and I, I am grateful that there's attention going to those things that are drawing attention to God and maybe church. But there's some red flags that concern me as far as why it may not be of God. And we could talk about that afterwards. I don't mean to deviate from our study. But for now, those who do not believe stand condemned already. So please notice that. And if we trek on, notice the next verse. What did we point out here in Romans 8.8? 8? What is the significance of 8.8 8 here? Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Is that referring to the believers or unbelievers? Can we be in the flesh? Yes, no? Ah, well, th- think it through. Yes. Can we be in the flesh? Let me ask the question again. No. Can we be in the flesh like Romans 8.8? 8, 8? We're in Christ. But how about, how many times have you been in the flesh? 
probably many of times, right? Scott, all the time? All the time. Amen. (laughs) But the difference here is that Paul talks about those in Christ and those who walk after the flesh. Remember? Is there a difference between the two? There is. If you have your Bibles, turn to... This is very important to see. Josh, can you hand me my Bible, please? I forgot to bring it up here. Thank you. Turn to Romans. Let me make sure I'm citing it correctly here. But I think it's chapter 8. Romans 8. David, could you read 9? As uh, And that this is what David was saying earlier. But, yes. But you are not. Very good. And then Scott, uh, Romans 8.1. That's all? Yeah. You don't have the complete verse? Who do not walk according to the flesh. You don't have that? That's the part I want us to focus in on. So there is that point where we can walk according to the flesh. Oh. It doesn't. Ah, very good. So you guys just all have to get New King James so you get the right Bible. Well, the point is is that I'm trying to establish the fact that there is a distinction between those in Christ, in the flesh, and walking after the flesh. Okay? So the New King James renders it in Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So there is the aspect of walking according to the flesh, and Romans 8.8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot what? They cannot please God. What does that actually mean? They're on... They're unregenerate. Very good. So there's nothing that they can do to, that can please God. Right? So... That's right. Uh, so walking in the flesh and walking according to... According to the right. That's the differentiation. Well, here, see, notice, Scott, those who are in. in. But that's not walking. Those who are in. But there's some, uh, there's some, I think, 
Mm-hmm. Translation. Okay, so there is a walking that is consistent with the flesh and that which is consistent with the spirit. And you find that down in Romans uh, Romans 8, 6, I believe. Remember we were looking at those who set their minds on the things of the spirit receive what two things? Life and peace. And those who set their minds on the things of the flesh, that's walking according to the flesh, they experience death. There's impoverishment. There's no spiritual power. You see, so here in Romans 8.8, 8, those who are in the flesh, we're not in the flesh because we're in positionally in Christ. But those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now notice the next verse here. Hopefully this will help clarify my point. 1 Corinthians 15.22 For is... For as in Adam all what? Die. Even so, in Christ all shall be made alive. So, notice the blue on the top verse, John 3.18. In order to be in Christ, you have to believe in Him. Okay? So, believing in Him will put you in Christ. And then when you're in Christ, you'll be made alive. Whereas in 1 Corinthians 15.22, those in Adam who do not believe are condemned already. Why? Because they're in Adam. When we are sharing the gospel to an unregenerate, we're trying to move them from the first Adam to the second one. Does that make sense? As 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, In Adam all die. And that kind of mirrors what we saw in um, the opening verse there that who those who don't believe stand condemned already. So Because they're in Adam. And we're trying to get them out of Adam and into Christ. And that only takes place when a person exercises faith in Jesus Christ. Faith alone in Christ alone. So in Adam all die, even in so in Christ all shall be made alive. So our goal is to point people to Christ. And when they acquiesce to Jesus Christ, they will be made alive because they have done, they've exercised John 3.18, which two verses prior talk about. What What's in two verses prior to John 3.18? Anybody remember? What's it say in John 3.16? That's right. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And John 3.18 says, but whoever doesn't believe stands condemned already. So our goal is to get them into Christ so that they'll be made alive so that they won't be condemned anymore. Because right now, their status is condemned. A person doesn't go to hell or the lake of fire because they're a sinner. It's because they have not believed in Christ. God has provided a gift through the person of Jesus Christ. If they 
believe in that gift, they will have everlasting life. But if they don't, they're already condemned. They don't have to do anything. They can't get any worse than they already are by not believing in Christ. So he... Yes, Everett. Right. From birth. In Adam, all die. That's right. Very good observation, Everett. In Adam, they're already what? That's right. They're already condemned. So if, you're, if your friends say, Everett, you still go to that church, man? And you, and you and I know that, yeah, we need to because that's how we're, our eyes are focused on Him. There's peace, right? A mind state on Him result, will result in peace because He trusts in Him. And we learn all the doctrines that will help us navigate through life. Because look, we're no different than the unregenerate in the sense that we get hit with trials, we get hit with issues and challenges and backaches, headaches. We have health issues and challenges, right? But the only thing that's going to help us remain sane is to have the power that I've been arguing in phase two. Because everyone can believe in Christ. Everyone can be a... Be- yes, Mike? I think uh, they... Like David, I think kids would automatically go in the presence of God. There's, there's a few verses that seems to argue that... Uh, because they were not given the opportunity to acquiesce to Christ, I don't think a, a gracious God would um, send someone to the lake of fire because they did, never had a chance. Yeah. So I, I, I think if they had an opportunity but they rejected, that's the problem. But they didn't have an opportunity to accept or reject. So therefore, they can't be held accountable for something they haven't. Yeah. I, 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 there might be. I don't recall off the top of my head. But I know in Romans 2 it talks about how we will be judged by the conscience, the, the heart. Romans 2 talks about that. But I, I don't believe a, a baby that dies early is going to be eternally separated. I'll see if I can pull some verses for by next week to support that. But I'm with David. I think we'll be able to see our kid later on if they die prematurely. But my point here in this section is that hopefully you can see the running thread here in these three verses. A person stands condemned already because he has not believed, not because they're bad, not because they have a sin nature. Although true, they're condemned only because, notice what it says. Because what? He is condemned because he does not believe. He does not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Look at uh, Romans 8.8. 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So there's nothing that they can do to please God. They can give a million dollars to church. That doesn't impress God. There's nothing that they could do. They can't even have their prayers answered. 
because they're not a child of God. Only those who are in Christ can have prayers answered. I think that if a person, our job is to point people to Christ, sharing the gospel, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And if they respond in that, they'll no longer have the status of condemnation, but they will be now, what? Made alive in who? Christ. That's the goal. That's our objective as ambassadors. We're trying to get them in Christ. Not to national capital, not to church, not to give, because they heard it all. You know what? You guys are just all after money. Haven't you heard that before? And church is a bunch of hypocrites. We're not trying to get them in the church. We're not trying to get them to give. We want them to, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. But the goal is to get them here in Christ. Because they don't know this, but they are already condemned. That's the problem. And that's, that's for all eternity. So... Those in the flesh can't please God. In Adam all die and as Everett observed, that's everybody from birth. So if a person is giving birth tomorrow, that child is in who? Adam. They're identified with Adam. So our goal is we pray for that child. Hopefully in the future, they'll be able to hear the gospel clearly presented, maybe through the Good News Club. And they'll respond and they'll no longer be condemned already because the only thing holding them back from having rapport with God is he who believes. Is it clear? He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. So the only thing holding them back is not being good. It's to believe in Christ. Believe in Him. We're trying to get them out of that status of condemnation. So, one more thing I wanted to see in 1 Corinthians 15.22. In Christ all shall be... What? And I'd like to remind you that we also... I pointed out in Romans 8.11. Notice... If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also what? Give life to your mortal bodies. So remember I had mentioned that the spirit of God who lives in us will give life to what what bodies? That's our physical bodies now. And what kind of power did we conclude last week? When we say Jesus was raised from the dead, what is that called? Resurrection? That resurrection power is now available to you and me. So if you go back to 1 Corinthians, let me back it up one more time here. This verse here, In Adam all die, But in Christ, all shall be what? Be made alive. We will be given power. We're already alive. So it can't be talking about physical life. 
because we're alive now. Look at the person next to you. We're all alive, are we not? But it says, in Christ, we all shall be made alive. So watch what happens when you connect it with Romans 8.11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and He does, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. I was talking to Marty earlier, and we agreed that we have the aches and pains lately, right? Do we not? Well, there is this spiritual power for the spiritual life that is exuded throughout the New Testament when you examine closely, look closely. Please look. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. You already have mortal bodies with aches and pains. This is talking about spiritual power. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is now going to energize your body, your life. So, if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and He does, He will give life or empowerment to our mortal bodies through the indwelling Spirit. The Spirit empowers the body in all of its weaknesses, and you have this resurrection power to overcome the deadly power of sin. So this is the power I'm talking about is not the physical muscle like this where you now you don't have any more aches and pains, but it's the ability to overcome the sin from uh, phase two, which we, which we looked at last week. Remember Romans 5, uh, 8, uh, is it? Nine to ten, that's right. Let me just read that. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Remember that? For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through his death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We shall be saved. So again, you you see this consistency of being uh, empowered through certain verses in the scripture. And let me see if I can... Look at John eight thirty one and 32. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Make you free. So, biblical truth is God's viewpoint in all areas of life, in all matters. It's not subject to redefinition. So please notice here in just this one passage, discipleship is not automatic. Phase two is not automatic. It requires our volition. Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if 
you abide in my word. You, maybe you will, maybe you won't. Right? That conditional clause. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. You are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So this requires one's volition. So believers are not necessarily going to obey or follow Christ because that requires our volition. Please note, if you abide in my word. So you may not abide in his word. That's volitional. It's solely up to the individual. So it's for the believer to be his disciples, they, they must abide. They must stay or remain. That's that word abide there in uh, meno. What are the rewards? Remember the two things that we talked about last week. What are the rewards of being a disciple of His? You'll know the truth. You'll have truth and freedom. So to those who, who believed in Him, please notice again, this is very important. If you continue in My Word, you are My disciples. If you abide in my word, you might, you might not. So that's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Are we abiding? And if, if, if that's the case, justification does not automatically result in discipleship. In other words, you are not automatically progressing through phase two salvation, which is saved from what? What's save, uh, phase two? being saved from? So, if it's not automatic, then you're probably not experiencing, you're not experiencing freedom from the power of sin. Let's look at a few more passages here on regarding abiding. That is very helpful. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you what? Abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. What's interesting here is that in this uh, passage in John 15, 4 to 5, that word abide is that uh, Greek word meno once again, but this time it's in the eris active imperative. This is a command. This is non-negotiable. This is a command here to abide. Why is it in John 8 it wasn't, uh, it wasn't mandated? But yet here they're commanded to abide. Here he says, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you, what? Abide in me. So I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me bears much fruit. So this one here is an imperative. We're commanded to abide in him. 
John 15, 4 to 5. But whereas in John 8, whoever abides in me is my disciple. That's okay. Can you hear me now? No, it's okay. I brought it for you. Thank you. So, this one here is a command. It's not optional. By the way, we're going to see in just a moment, there are many who teach this passage here to prove that you can lose your salvation. Right? They've taught if you don't abide, then you will lose your salvation, but that's not what Jesus is teaching here. There is a consequence, but it's not loss of salvation. So, 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 yeah. Well, angelic conflict, here we go. That sometimes happens. So here's where people get uh, messed up. The next passage section here. If anyone does not, what? If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. So how would you answer the person who says, well, it looks like you can certainly go to hell. Looks like you can go to hell here. Because look, doesn't it say that they're going to throw them into fire? Huh? Wrong fire. It's fire is fire. It's still hot, isn't it? If anyone does not abide in me, what does abide mean? Remain, stay in Christ. He is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. So this looks like a person who does not abide will be cast into the fire. Hmm. Yes, phase two. Very good. Loss of health. That's right. But how about our newbie friends, new Christians? Uh, how do we explain that this is not referring to loss of salvation? Let's just say we can't dig into the original text and show, oh, this is what the Greek says. Let's just say we're using the New King James, which is the nearly inspired Bible. Is there an easy way to explain that this can't be referring to hell? But you're right, Everett. Oh, Debbie? Okay, they're burned, but they don't keep... They're not... In other words, they're not burned up. What's the difference between burned and burned up? Put your hand on the stove. Get in the stove. 
that's a good. Yeah, I, I like that. Intense discipline. Very good. Now, I'm I'm wanting us to use the words from the text because our unbe- our new Christian friends may not have all this doctrine like you guys do. Remember, use what's there. Otherwise, we might say something that the author never intended. See what's there, see what's not there. Is hell here? Is torments here? Is the lake of fire here? No. So you're having a Bible study during lunch break and someone says, hey, you know what, Scott? It looks like if you don't abide, you're going to be burned up and you're going to go to hell. So is there any way we can make sense of this passage? Well, it doesn't, it doesn't say lake of fire. It doesn't say lake of fire. It doesn't say hell. So we can't use that, right? What do you think, Dan? Yes. But see, the person, though, is going to be gathered and thrown into the fire and they're burned. Right? So. Okay, abide. Good. Okay. So, how would we explain abide to our friends at during lunch at break, uh, lunch at work? Walking with him. So if so, these words again. Walking. What was that, Laura? Following, obeying. So what? So if we don't walk and obey, if that's what abide means, then we're going to be burned up. Sounds like lordship salvation. Is that what your church teaches? Mm-hmm. Okay, now, anyone. The person you're trying to clarify this to is going to say, well, is he talking to believers or unbelievers? Okay. Is he talking to both? Oh, now we're digging into the word now. Okay. Now I'm confused. Okay, good. <laughs> you're interpreting what abide means, what the term anyone means, but when you try to explain what we mean by bird, we said, Okay, very good. Okay, we're Okay, very good. So, um, let's get some context. Who's he talking to? Who's the anyone referring to? 
Believers? How do we know it's believers? Very good, Brian. Right. Okay. Okay, believers only. Can we? Do we have any support from the passage itself? If someone says, "Well, you know, I, I heard that when we study the Bible, we have to make sure we're using what the Bible says." How do we know that this refers to believers only? Okay, in me, that is that preposition in again. That's what we were talking about in Adam, in Christ. What's that called? What kind of truth is that? Positional truth, right? So those in me, and he's talking to, is he talking to his disciples? He is. He's talking to his disciples. So the any one of his disciples here who are with him, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener, the vine dresser. You see that? Verse 1. Every branch in me, there's that preposition in, so that's positional truth. That's union. Speaks of union with the vine and the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away or lifts up. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may what? Bear more fruit. So what is this passage talking about? Spiritual connection. Production. It's talking about spiritual production. It's talking about fruit bearing. Is it talking about salvation? Not at all. Not at all. This is talking about production and he's addressing his disciples who are in Christ, who are already clean because of the words spoken to them. We find that in verse 2. Every branch in me that does... Oh, wait, where is it? I'm sorry, verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So they're clean. Remember, I've mentioned several times in this series that you're either clean or unclean. Was Judas clean or unclean? He was unclean. All of you are clean except one. See, so these terms, hopefully they're now starting to pop in your mind. In Christ, in Adam, in Him, clean, unclean, abide in me. And if you're not going to abide in me, what will happen if you don't abide in Him? You won't grow. This is a metaphor. Are are we real branches? Is Scott a branch? Is Jesus a, a real vine? It's not literal. The branches aren't real. The vine isn't real. These are pictorial images to help us understand that apart from the vine, the branches can do nothing. He's using a horticulture metaphor for his disciples to say, look, 
If you're going to be productive, you have to be in me. You can't operate on your own. You need to stay connected to me. For production to occur, the spiritual sap has to flow through from me to you. But if you're disconnected from me, you can't have any fruit. You can't bear any fruit. You're not going to be productive. And in fact, what does John 15.9 say? David, do you have your... Not only... Okay, what does John 15... Uh, verse 8. I'm sorry. Okay. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. So bearing much fruit is the goal. One of the objectives. So that who's going to be glorified? God the Father would be glorified. Do you guys see that there? John fifteen eight. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. So part of being his disciples is what? Bearing fruit. See, we're seeing so much that are interlocked now that if anyone doesn't abide in him, they're going to be... Now the, the whatever it was saying earlier and what Brian was saying earlier about being chastened or disciplined, that now comes to bear because um, the truth is, cast out as a branch and burn refers to a common practice of viticulture in which unproductive branches were cut off and burned. So fire is a common metaphor in scripture for temporal judgment. And you see this throughout scripture, including the Bema Seat of Christ, 1 Corinthians 3, where his eyes are gazing at our works, but we'll be saved as through fire. Our works get burned up, but we're still saved. So there's judgment. There's temporal judgment. So some are wrongly saying that the non-abiding believers prove that they are not true believers, but merely professing believers who will spend eternity in hell. And so the way to counter that, because uh, they cite this passage here, is to look at verse... Three. We made reference to this and Scott uh, read this earlier. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So the disciples were clean through the washing of Christ's word according to this verse here. This is how we stay clean as well but we must also abide in Christ to be productive. A branch that's disconnected from the vine is considered useless. So also we can't produce fruit unless we remain in Christ. The the idea of remaining or abiding has to do with intimacy and relationship with Him. Unbelievers are not in Christ and they're not branches from which He expects fruit. So this is talking about, verse 2 is talking about status, not conduct. Notice verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit. So the status is they're in him, in Christ. There's that preposition again, one more time, in. 
So they're in Christ. This is not referring to their behavior. Divine good in fellowship. in fellowship, out of fellowship. At yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that would relate easily right there. So phase two would be. Uh, so now it would be the motive behind the works. So are you being? Are you doing the works in the energy of the flesh or the energy of the spirit? Are you filled with the spirit? Have you named your sins to God? So if if Rick gives me this cup of water and he's out of fellowship, no gold, silver, or precious stone for Rick. But if he did, this is rewardable. Even if something as simple as water. Right? Very good, Everett. Very, very good. So notice in John fifteen five. What's the negative outcome here? I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do what? Nothing. So here's the negative outcome. Salvation remains intact, but he'll live a life accomplishing nothing of value for Christ. Since this is the opposite of what the verse calls us to do. It means that the one who doesn't abide will bear no fruit. For without me you can do nothing. He's talking, he's been hammering on the importance of abiding in him to bear fruit so that the Father would be glorified, right? So, we abide if we want to bear fruit and Scripture makes it clear that there are people who are saved who will not abide and non-abiding believers will do nothing of value. The one who doesn't abide will bear no fruit. But if we do abide or remain in Him, in His Word, we will bear fruit. Anybody know when the first time we saw the word abide in our study? What did we cover? Last week we covered Romans. Very good, Everett. And the week before that, what did we cover? Who is Jesus talking to? The lady at the the lady at the well, right? Well, look at this is the first time the word abide appears. May not have realized it, but see, notice the words in green. Stay and stayed. Same words. And I'll show you and I'll connect it with John 8 in just a moment. But the word abide here The words stay and stayed are the same Greek word that Jesus used when he says abide in me, in my word, in John 8.31. 
So, so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Remember that? It's two weeks ago. So, if you take this word, and now look at John 8.31, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So, when you, when you look at it in its context, you can see that the idea here, the sense is abiding in my word is, he's saying, stay with me, keep doing what I teach. If you stay in my word, if you remain in my word, keep doing what I teach. That's the sense when you look at how he how the word is used in John chapter 4. If you stay in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Is it possible to not stay in his word? Yes. Remember what I said before? It's volitional. If you are not abiding in his word, you are not therefore acting as a disciple. And if you're not acting like a disciple, are you still saved? Yes. Are you experiencing the power that comes from phase two? No. If we agree that there are three tenses or three aspects of salvation, phase one, two, and three, and if phase two is being saved from the power of sin, then if we're not clear on what it means to abide, if we're not clear on these terms, more than likely we're not seeing deliverance from the power of sin. Because abiding, we're going to see in just a moment, relates to obedience. To what though? There's a lot more we're going to unpack on that. Look at what First John, for example, says. He who keeps my commandments, what? Abides in him. And he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given. So the person who keeps his commandments abides in him. And in addition, he abides in the believer. The obedient believer has God making his home within him. We see this in John 14.23, for example. Right here. Which is the goal for the believer. One of the goals. The ultimate experience of fellowship with God the Father and God the Son. Notice what it says here. The obedient believer has God the Father and God the Son making their home within him. So this experience with God is the ultimate form of fellowship. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we, Father and Son, will come to him and make our home with him. We're never alone. We have the Father and the Son resident in us. That's the now going into the doctrine of the indwelling of the Father and the Son. Who, who indwells the believer? 
all three. All three. We, we tend to say the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three reside in you. And there are several passages that will indicate that. But this, this is one of them. John 14, 23. If anyone loves me though, he will keep my word. If, do you love him? If you do, then you're keeping, you should be keeping his word. And when you keep his word, my father will love you or him and we, father and son, will come to him and make our home with him. You see that? These are fellowship terms. So if you're not keeping his word, what's happening? You're not loving him. And if you're not loving him and you're not keeping his word, the fellowship with the Father and the Son has been breached. John fourteen fifteen says, If you love me, obey me. Coupled with John fourteen twenty three. If anyone loves how many of you love him? Well, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. These are rich, deep, meaningful verses, words that describe the fellowship that takes place between the believer and his Lord. This is fantastic. This is what we need. But we need to keep his word. Again, that's volitional. We're not guaranteed that we're going to keep his word. Maybe we didn't even know that part of abiding is keeping his word. We're just saying remain in his word. But remaining also has to do, or abiding also has to do with obeying. If you love me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And then also, look at John 5.38. And this will be the last verse here. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him, you do not even believe. Referring to the religious uh, crowd here in John chapter 5. In the context, there's a multitude of people, but he's referring to those who were challenging him. You do not even have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him, you do not even believe. Who's the one that was sent? Christ, and they didn't even believe in him. But please notice in the one verse, they don't have his word abiding in them, so therefore they're not disciples of his. But we also saw a context where there were believers, the believing Jews who did believe, but they were not yet disciples. What did they have to do to be his disciples? Abide in his word. Look at what it says in John 5.38. You do not have his word abiding in you, remaining in you, because whom he sent, me, Jesus, him you do not even believe. So the word's not abiding in them, and you don't even believe in Christ. So they don't even have justification. They're not even in phase one yet. They have not been saved from the penalty of sin as of yet. So they can't even be asked to be a disciple of his. They can't even 
he can't even say the same thing in John 8. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. He can only say that to who? The believers. To the Jews who believed, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Anybody here or listening online, if you abide in his word, you are his disciples indeed. Now, why would you want to be his disciples? His disciple. So that you can experience the phase two, salvation. That doesn't come automatic, it's volitional. That depends on following Him, remaining in His Word, abiding in Him, following His commands as we've seen in the previous verses here. So all of these pulled together connect and reinforce the importance of knowing these terms that are rich. Not just confess your sins and then you're in fellowship. Look, how many times have you confessed your sins and said, I'm still struggling, I'm still having difficulty? There's a momentum that we need to, to sustain. And that's going to be the, re- the direct result of getting that momentum going. Confess your sins, move on, get the momentum moving, abide in Him, loving Him, remaining in His Word, obeying His commands as we've seen in these verses here, putting it together and saying, okay, staying in His Word. What's that mean? What's that look like? Well, what did we learn in Romans 1? I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation. And what did we learn there? Well, all these people that were struggling with all these sins, 18 to 32. Paul says, I'm not ashamed because it's the, the power of God to deliver me from haters of God, disobedience, homosexuality, lesbianism, all these things. The gospel is in, has inherent power. It will make, it will allow you to be delivered from all of these sins. Because you've been suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, God turned you over to yourself. But if you would, instead of suppressing the truth, abide in it and make application to it and connect it together and realize that abiding, remaining, staying, all of these words are rich with meaning. And once you take your notes and connect it and say, okay, this relates to this, this relates to this, this is a fellowship term. This requires my volition. I have to respond here. Do I love him? Yes. Well, then I'm going to obey. And when I'm obeying, I'm loving. And when I'm loving, I'm abiding in him. And when I'm abiding in him, he's going to make his home with me, the father and son. So now I have supreme power resident in me. Not that he, they left as far as being disowned, but the fellowship is intact. Scott and Jerry, good-looking couple, wouldn't you agree? They've been married for many of years. I'm sure they've had their moments where maybe Scott has grieved um, Jerry. And I'm not going to ask if that's true, but I'm sure that's probably the case. And the point is, is that when, if, if Jerry is grieved, nothing is going to get accomplished, Right? You, Scott can't say, honey, do you want to go to uh, get something to eat today? She's going to say, go in the doghouse. We're not even talking. Well, this is why we are protective of our fellowship with God. Because the scripture gives two negatives regarding the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve. Do not quench. If you do, you have no power. 
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. If you grieve the Holy Spirit, He's not going to answer you. He's not going to empower you. If we regard iniquity in our hearts, He does not hear us. So when you pull all these doctrines together in your spiritual life, now you can stand and say, okay, the reason why I'm not seeing certain things happen in my life, maybe I'm not abiding in Him. If you do not have His Word abiding in you, maybe it's because I don't really believe in Him. Do you believe God will come through for you? Some of these things are just, we have to connect the dots here and realize that God is saying specific things that relate to phase two salvation that are volitional in nature. So, we're out of time. I'm gonna, if I don't stop now, I'm gonna go into a third hour. So, I'll resume this next week and I, I just want us to see that, um, there is a way to have this spiritual life that is going to be I don't like to use the word victorious because that sounds so but the truth is it, it is victorious and I, I know that we have those times where we sometimes wonder is it possible to see some relief is it possible to see some salvation in my life I mean if people know how much I struggle oh, they probably would question did I really Am I really saved? Am I really a believer? Yes, you are. You all, we all have those difficulties and challenges, but I'm hoping that by the time we're done, we're going to be able to lock shields and say, you know what? Um, phase two is where it's at because this is for us. If it's true that we can be saved from the power of sin, then we need that drastically. We need that immediately. Because otherwise, we're going to come to church and we, hey, how you doing, Scott? Uh, I'm all right. Deep down, we're, we're miserable. But the truth is, we don't have to be miserable. Isaiah 26.3, a mind stayed on him is going to result in what? Peace. So, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you as always for giving us this opportunity to examine your word. And Father, when we pull these truths together, there's just so much as far as abiding and believing. We realize, Lord, that we are grateful for the fact that we are in Christ. We're no longer in Adam. And because we're in Christ, we have a vast array of spiritual resources that are ours. And we hear it all the time. We grew up uh, knowing that the Word of God is alive and powerful. We knew that if we would confess our sins we would be back in fellowship but father the truth is uh, living phase two today seems to be very difficult and so if we're honest with ourselves we need to consult with the living word of god so that we can reflect the truth as found in the word and we do believe that there is a solution and an answer to phase two because of romans 5 8 and 9 so help us, Father, as we navigate through this particular study to make adjustments where necessary so that we can, with, um, with sincerity and honesty with each other, we can honestly say that to God be the glory. So we thank you, Father, for this opportunity to examine these things and help us to make adjustments where necessary. We ask and pray all of these things through Christ's matchless name in which we pray. Amen. Six months to the day, we uh, had the privilege of welcoming uh, 
Pastor Freddie here. And this is a half-year anniversary of oh, him wow. being the interim pastor to National Capital Bible Church. Wow. And because of that, we'd like to express our gratitude to what Freddie has been doing, the work he's put into uh, making sure this teaching of the Word of God continued without fail after uh, Pastor Ingham had to step down and keep this going. And so an expression of our gratitude to Pastor Freddie and his family, we'd like to give them a voucher oh, for a trip to the Museum of the Bible for his entire family, all five, when you get your two daughters in here. Yeah, and uh, so it's, uh, I don't know if it's valid or not, but uh, <laughs> but please see uh, Dave or me afterwards. When you, but this thank is for you. you, and thank you very much. Oh, thank, thank you, you Scott. Much. Thank you, everyone.